Welcome to Rumor Flies, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. And I'm Greg. Hooray, Greg's here again. Yay. Today we're here with another history episode. A lot later in uh, in the season than we normally do a history episode. It's fine. It's just it's where it falls. But it we're going into a lot earlier than we've ever covered in history. Oh, oh I like it. That's uh, a good one. This is more focused on... I don't know your topics. The Greeks is what I'm going to say. Uh, I would say ancient history with one little caveat to it. I think that would be Greg's topic that he's going to be jumping yeah. off oh, with. Oh, yeah. Greg's topic is I not the Greeks. I love medieval. I wouldn't really put that in. Yeah, I wouldn't put that in the ancient bucket. No. But, you know. No, but it's a fun one. It's a good one. We don't have any guests, so don't turn off the podcast. But <laughs> it's going to be fun. This is actually going to be more of a... You know, we did the stuff with Paul Revere and all that with the first yes. history episode, and we did the Rome specific. This is going to be, I think, kind of movie centric for most of the topics. Yeah, that's a good Popular point. Popular media. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about it like that because mine definitely. A goes bunch into of movies it. are going to come up as a reference. Not that that doesn't happen in every episode of Rumor Flies, but at the same rate, <laughs> it's appropriate for us to bring up the movies for reference. And you know what? We're going to throw a little curveball in this episode because we're going to have Greg start us off with our first topic. Oh Jesus! So, Greg, give the people what they want. So, my first topic is uh, lovingly called Ninja Shit. <laughs> Um, so well thought out. So this one's a little different from our, um, normal format. So our, our usual criteria for myths is put it in a simple question. Um, you know, does Chinese food do this? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, um, uh, men have nipples because blank or whatever, right? Like all these topics we hit, there's, there's some sort of assertion. I know. Right. I have like some sort of fixation. And so (laughs) we, it's like you, you have some sort of assertion or some sort of comment or something that you're re- refuting or proving. This one's a little broader because when you get into ninjas and ninja mythology and history, there's like everything's bullshit. Uh, like everything yeah. you made know, of pirates and ninjas. Every episode, movie, but- every video game, probably books like that aren't specifically historical works on the history of ninjas, which you'll find out not even the correct term. Well, that's the, oh. issue. <laughs> that's the oh. issue here is that, um, is it Shinobi? It's, uh, we'll get to it. Okay. Um, but you're close. All right. That's Naruto. Ryan uh, shitting but, on things. No, I'm not. I'm not. But like I, the reason why we were talking about this is because usually with a lot of these things, there could be like some room for debate or it's like, you know, uh, a hearsay thing like, Oh, I heard this about ninjas. No, that doesn't happen. We just, see this about ninjas and nobody ever questions it. It's just, that's a thing in our culture now about ninjas that we have this locked very, in very heads. specific image. I don't know about y'all. When this topic first came up, I remembered, and this might just be unique to me. Chopping I don't fruit. know, but nice. Um, I was going to say Beverly Hills Ninja. Yes. I love that movie with the passion. <laughs> oh I do too. I do too. Chris Farley on the palm trees to Tarzan. Yeah. Boy. Oh my God. It's amazing. And the, the, Thing I always, when I was younger, I always, for some reason, and again, I don't know where this came from. I don't know how common this is. So y'all tell me if you've heard this. I always went like, Samurai Japan, Ninjas China. For some reason, I associated them as kind of like a really? uh, an AB thing, like as a as a like answer I, uh, to each other. Well, it happens when you're a Russian history major. So I, I get it. <laughs> this one I was like eight, but okay. I um, I always just assumed the samurai and ninja were just kind of like army navy two different pathways you could take for the same i get it i get it. i'm yeah. laughing but it was a fun comparison i mean it's the best way i can put it like it's two different pathways but you have the same result as the same goal of what you're doing prote- you know protecting your country or you're whatever. a little closer so that's that's kind of how i envision it but you're I, a little closer i always envision japan though if, if we're talking a specific demographic and i don't Japanese. know why i thought ninjas are associated with china i have no idea why 
Um, I, I, I can't, I can't explain why I thought that, but yeah, I, I don't know. Ryan, what, what, well, the samurai too have their own misconceptions, which we could address in another episode, but yeah, just take it off with the ninjas. Let's see what we got. Sure. So a few things about, uh, ninjas, um, they largely from what we can tell, they largely came into use in military and yeah. secret things in the 14th and 15th centuries. And the mythology around them really started to cement around the 16th century. Hmm. And it wasn't like someday, you know, or one day someone woke up and just like wrote down, this is what a ninja is. But it just kind of one of the things that gained traction over time and and written about and these these myths and things built around it. So I found a really, a bunch of really interesting articles. One of them was actually a GQ article, a UK GQ. Actually, that one was really interesting. I was going to say like the same GQ that I'm thinking of. It's like GQ UK. But um, <clears throat> are we sure that's a factual website? Yeah, well, I verified it with a bunch of others. <laughs> no, I know, but you know, you, you get those www.abc.au.co.whatever. Like no, it's a legit site. Why does Gakwuk sound like a bad word? <laughs> GQUK. G-Q-U-K. Sorry, continue. Gakwuk. So, first off, they weren't called ninjas. That's largely a 20th century term. The real term for them is, and I'm going to butcher this, Shinobi no Mono. Yeah. And um, this is often translated as Man of the Shadows, Shinobu. I w- so I was going to say like something with the shadow people as their original yes. name. So I'm, okay. Shinobu means stealth and perseverance, while Mono means person, which makes the ninja a man of perseverance and stealth. Hey. So that's one thing out the gate. The term's wrong, and the term ninja didn't really come around and, until it's more recent than it is to the actual so creation of ninjas. So who the fuck was like, oh, those are ninjas. Yeah. Which, that I did not get deep dive into. No, just, that's something. Uh, most of the articles I read just kept saying over and over again, like, that is a modern term. It is not. That is. I, I should have the it's original not, usage. It's not historical context. So I brought up Naruto, which I actually don't like that much. Uh, Weeb. Boruto's better. Uh, I still don't like it that much. But hey, whatever. I'm not going to defend that. They call themselves Shinobi in it instead of ninjas. Ah. Well, that part, that goes into my second part. Okay. Oh. Which is the Shinobi is basically like a job title. It's like saying oh. an accountant or a pikeman or, or a, a soldier. No, it is. Like, or a cop. It hey. really is. It's a, hey, it's, if you're a cop, you got to tell me. Yeah. See legal <laughs> If you're a shinobi, you got to show yourself. <laughs> yeah. Season four? I don't know, Greg. We established I don't know anything. Um, so this is, um, to kind of break down the shinobi a little bit, this, is, uh, this one kind of covers a number of points that people think about ninjas some people think that it was a secret handbook some people think it's like a special cult some people think it's peasants who were trained there's all these different myths about oh, the origin of a ninja it's actually not that complicated i've heard stuff like them flying in on kites into cities to infiltrate and stuff like yeah there's that. all kinds of craziness and so one from one of the there's a military history now article uh this is from that Contrary to what many people think, the shinobi were not poor peasants that were trained in the mountains and then hired to perform sorts of missions no samurai would. The term shinobi no mono is in fact a job title, little different from pikeman, carpenter, accountant, or archer. Shinobi were typically of samurai level and skill, but at minimum, they were ashigaru, or foot soldiers, who specialized in covert operations, commando skills, and spying. The shinobi should be seen as samurai or professional warriors hired by a lord to act as covert operator teams or spies, which is kind of the whole theme you're going to find here. Yeah. These guys aren't special forces. These guys are not usually guys, sometimes women, but these are not people who were like trained from birth and some secret dark mystic arcs and all this crazy shit you see. They are just people who specialize 
in being sneaky, being a little bit, you know, they, they, they definitely s- have skill set. They sound like plainclothes police. Kind of. They would definitely put on disguises, um, which kind of goes into our next part, which is they didn't typically wear the masked black suits we usually associate them with. You don't say. <laughs> well, that's the, whenever someone thinks ninja. You think of them being an all black. Sort of covered face. And... When you think about sneaking around, do you think it's easier to find something that makes you more suited for just the shadows or that makes you not even noticeable in any situation, like looking boring? Exactly. And attached to that, too, is the quote-unquote throwing stars or shuriken. We're ninja also stars. not a typical yeah, throwing stars, ninja star, shuriken. They are not actually typical arsenal for them. But they were a real weapon. They are a real used. weapon, but that was not this like thing that they all carried and all rocking, right? That, that all play. The, the constant thing you're going to hear throughout this is this what pocket sand, pocket sand. <laughs> but this idea of like the black clad ninja sneaking around at night, light on his feet, throwing ninja stars, killing people. Like this whole image is just completely fabricated from so many different elements. But it's a very appealing fabrication. I was going to say it it's is. a very it's well very done. Exciting. Yeah, and so. Um, there is no historical evidence to show that the ninja, quote unquote, ever wore this garb. Most documents point to Shinobi wearing standard Japanese clothes of the time, which you were saying. Um, white uniforms for full moons, black for darker nights, and no mask or sword on the back. So they would often wear typical military garb or they'd wear plain clothes stuff, but they were not in any way distinct. Yeah. Um, they were, and so this kind of goes back to my original. Another point I have is they were not some elite flight fighting force. They are kind of part of your standard military. So yes, some people would hire a ninja for assassinating people, but that kind of got this romantic image like Ronins. Yeah. Ronins were not this thing. There's like there weren't just these like samurai wandering Japan all the time. And stuff. Any Ronins, quote unquote, were typically picked up by a feudal lord pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. They were mercs. And, yeah, and That's but it. there weren't even that many. And that's the thing is like this, like Seven Samurai glamorize this idea of the Ronin, right? Movie reference. All right, nice. And there, but the the fact is, it that wasn't typical. It's incredibly atypical. And same thing with ninjas. Ninjas are not these like swords for hire. They were not these special dark mystic art cultists or, or specially trained special forces. They were just a specialized arm of any military with some exceptions. So a lot of it is just that the garb's wrong. The weapons are wrong. They're not these guys running around with their hands out and their swords on their backs. The name's wrong. And yeah, the names are wrong. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's like creating a myth around, I don't know, like we kind of have the myth of like the American sniper, right? Like yeah. there's been movies about it. There's shooter, American snipers, all these movies. Or like a Navy SEAL. The sniper. Yeah, yeah, right. And like, yes, the sniper is a specialty thing, but it's like, a trained part of the military. Like, it's just a guy who specializes in something. Oh, no. A woman who's, it's a person who specializes Perfect in something. Perfect example. I think, clarify. I think I mentioned this when we were talking earlier about the about when we were putting the episode together. James Bond. Yes. The worst spy on earth if yes. he was a real spy. Yes. He uses freaking name all the time for starters. Yeah. So everyone knows who James Extremely Bond is. Extremely extravagant. Does not mix in well. Real spies are the most boring people you can imagine. Because you never know they were a spy. And they or sit around doing nothing for long periods of time. With the yeah. what, Ryan? Russian supermodels. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you said. That that happened. No, I I know. I I was I just wanted to make sure I, I understood. Uh anyway, is that all in the ninjas? That's right basically now? it. It's just that like anything you assume about ninjas is probably wrong. They're 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 just a specialty type of soldier in the same way an archer is or a pikeman is. Or a Robocop. Or a Robocop. Yeah. Typical neighborhood friendly Robocop. Mm. 
Um, <laughs> you know, so just basically, if you're wondering what the myth is about ninjas, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Just say ninjas. First of all, wrong. It's not what they were called. <laughs> it's a strong start. So, so who's our next? Who's next up? It's kind of going to be a little bit of a tag team. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. We're going to be getting into kind of the movie myths now, and this is really—I still very much like this movie. We're going to be talking about three hundred, and more particularly, the Battle of Thermopylae. So, I'm going to get a little bit into Spartan culture. Josh, you're going to get into the big throwdown. So, you the, want to start us off? Yeah. The so you say Thermopylae. I've always said Thermopylae. I'm also not intelligent. So from what Latin I, class AE, I remember being pronounced I. One of my fondest memories Never of Greg took Latin. is when oh, no. one of my fondest memories of Greg is just being in the commons of our school and then Greg running up. Dude, you hear about 300? It's about the 300 Spartans battle at the Nopalai. Just like going around, just jumping around, just like, dude, just like shirtless and everything, just stabbing the Persians and everything. You were really excited about it and it was, it was great. great. I, think, <laughs> I still love it. I think it was, uh, I think it was pre-meds, but it was really good. You were, <laughs> you were excited about it. That movie is fucking absurd. And you know what? The the thing that nobody talks about with that is uh, fucking Trent Reznor, I believe, did the music, uh, which is such an instrumental part of that movie. Or the fact that Xerxes was played by... Uh, Don't you shit on my... I'm getting into it. Okay. I really do get into it a little okay, bit. Okay, continue. What, what, I'm sorry. Xerxes was played by whom? Uh, Oscar Isaac. No. No, he is not. Oh, that was Apocalypse. Not even a little bit. That was Apocalypse. Wow. Same person. Are you trying to say he did blackface? Jesus Christ. What are you talking about? Isn't Oscar Isaac a white dude? No. He's... I don't know. I thought he was like Peruvian or something. Ambiguous. Wait, am I mixing him up? Who am I mixing? The guy from fucking Star Wars. Yeah. No, he's not white. Shut the fuck up. Yes, he is. What are you doing? Oscar Isaac he's is not white. He's a Guatemalan-born American actor. But he's not fucking Persian. You know what? We're going to call neither up Oscar. Neither is the guy that plays Xerxes. And neither was the guy that played Johnny Five's creator in Short Circuit 2. Wait, what? Yeah, he did. He I did, don't even know what the fuck you just referenced. He did Indian Face. You don't remember Short Circuit 2? Oh my God, we have derailed this terribly. Josh, please continue. Wait, no, no, no. no. I'm going to look this up right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we can't even start a 300 topic. Because of Oscar Isaac's ethnicity. But the actor who plays Xerxes yeah. is not a white dude, is no, he? No, he's fucking Brazilian. Yeah. But neither is Oscar Isaac. He's, he's not white. I just thought Oscar Isaac was white. Mm-mm. Oscar Isaac's Guatemalan. They'd be the same thing as Brazilian almost playing Oscar Xerxes. Oscar Guatemalan? This is I, literally I just, what happened in the South Park episode. I said Oscar Isaac. I love Oscar Isaac. Okay, Hern- in these photos, I see it now. Oscar Isaac Hernandez Estrada is a Guatemalan-born American actor. I never seen it with the accents and the Hernandez Estrada. I always heard it was Oscar Isaac. That is not a fucking Hispanic-sounding name. Oscar, sure, but Isaac is not. I hate to tell you this, but Nicolas Cage's real last name isn't Cage. I Oscar is totally a Spanish name. No, I know Oscar works, but I was just saying. But Isaac. Sorry, Greg, that he did not fit your norms of a Hispanic person. <laughs> I honestly God did not know. I honestly God did not know he was Guatemalan. No, you're like. You just thought he was a white dude. I know he was a white dude. He always plays a white dude with a straight English accent. Have you seen Drive? You know why? You know why? Acting. Have you seen Drive? <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot he was in Drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. Apocalypse was blue. I didn't see that movie. It looked like dog, dog shit. And it, it was. It did look like dog shit. I never saw it either. And it was dog shit. Oh, <laughs> my God. Continue, Josh. Okay. The Battle of Thermopylae, which I'm going to have to remind myself If that makes you sound racist, fucking cut it. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's gonna be fun to edit. Okay, the the battle of I was ethnically confused. (laughs) The battle of Thermopylae was most famously depicted in the movie Three Hundred, like we have just discussed at length. I have no idea if you heard it or not, but we discussed it. So yes. King Leonidas and his 300 Spartans took on the hulking empire of the Persians, led by King Xerxes. Now, if you haven't seen the movie and want to, earmuffs for a little while because this is going to cover some spoilers in a movie that was exaggerated most of uh, that exaggerated most of the event uh, based on a real uh, event that occurred, a real battle that you should know the result of anyway. So yeah, spoilers ahead. I don't know what the threshold is for spoilers, but I figure. We're past that point. It's I don't like, think anybody's ever been like, oh, don't tell me about 300. I haven't seen it yet. At I don't this know. point. That was 10 years ago. I was going to say, I think it was around 2007, 2008. So anyway, in the movie, King Leonidas and his group of Spartans, starring the great Michael Fassbender in his first feature film debut, fun fact, also has Lena Headley from Game of Thrones. Heedy. Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, Dominic West from The Wire, Rodrigo Santoro from Westworld, who plays King Xerxes, by the way. <laughs> uh, Wait, who do you play in Westworld? Uh, he played Hector, I believe his name was. Or, or he was Hector. That was, oh, I totally see it now. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. It's one of those things that you don't know it until you actually think about it. But yeah, totally makes sense. And of course, Gerard Butler from the cinematic masterpieces, Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, and a movie I actually love, P.S. I Love You. <laughs> um, okay, so in the movie, the Spartans hold off the the... Parisians, while they go and uh, want, want uh, since, uh, Persians, sorry. not Parisians. I know, I just realized that. <laughs> oh, we oui, oui, we will take Sparta from you. <laughs> we will rain down baguettes oh, into the blocks of the sun in the shadow. <laughs> it's time for nap. Oh, let me try that again. The Spartans hold off the Persians while they while they while King Leonidas sends one of them away to go and get help. They do a fantastic job fighting in slow-mo until finally the Spartans are betrayed by Quasimodo and they all die. Uh, when, the per- <laughs> when the Persians go to take Sparta, they are met with an even bigger Spartan army led by a pirate Spartan with an eye patch and then fade to black fin. We're done. Okay. But enough about the movie. This is uh, an educational podcast, not a movie podcast, dot, 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 yet. I'm sure it's coming at some point. Jumping into a rumor flies time machine, which, fun fact, Ryan, is constructed of the rumor flies gun. I don't know how it works, but we just kind of reassembled it a little bit. The battle was actually fought over three days, which I remember from the movie was not three days. It didn't seem like it, it. wasn't one day. No, it wasn't one day, but I don't remember exactly how many days it was. But um, this was fought over three days during the second Persian invasion of Greece. The first one uh, failed, so they have to have a second one. Thermopylae was also known as the Hot Gates, which they do bring up in the movie, because it was just a narrow passageway. That uh, led right, right, that led into Greece. Yeah, that little strait was a big feature, like the, the yeah, it was a big um, the spot between the cliffs. Yeah, it seemed like a really big feature in the movie that was like integral to the battle. I didn't know if that was an actual thing. That or was not. it was real. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's they even call it the the hot gates, I believe, in the movie as well. Um, and and gr- the Greeks holding off the Persians right there was instrumental in slowing down the Persians from just running through the country. Basically, it would have given them free reign. Now, in the actual battle, about 7,000 Greeks went to fight the Persians. Now, as far as the number of Persians there were, that number was said to be around 1 million. 1 million Persians? Yes, is what, is what the reported number was. But you know how historians like to exaggerate these things, right, Dan Carlin? 
Don't was, set me up for a penalty shot. No, I'm not. But I'm just saying it's one common theme in this podcast. The number was grossly overinflated. The actual number was probably somewhere closer to 150,000. Still a lot more than the Greeks had, but it wasn't 1 million. It was somewhere between, I've read numbers as low as 80,000, and I've read uh, as many as 200,000. So right around the sweet spot, I figure it's probably about 150,000 just for to give a, an idea of what it was. The vastly outnumbered Greeks held off the Persians for seven days. I know I said it was over three days, but only three days were of actual battle. They held them off for seven days of actual combat. The Greeks were, in fact, betrayed like in the film. So King Leonidas dismissed the rest of the army, except for 300 Spartans, but also 700 thespians as well stayed. Um, And it wasn't just the Spartans and the thespians who stayed. There were reports of other factions and other groups staying as well. But those numbers vary. In fact, there was one group of people, like 400 of them stayed behind. And like 30 minutes into fighting, I don't know the actual number, but shortly into fighting, they just surrendered. (laughs) They were like, "Eh, fuck it, we're done. And um, so the point of it is that it wasn't just 300 Spartans. So that was the big difference uh, from the movie as well. But, you know, you got to kind of beef it up a little bit to make the movie more appealing. So the, or beef it down a little bit to make the movie more appealing, I oh, guess. Well, yeah, but I meant like more dramatic. I'm sorry. So where'd the 300 number come from? Just Leonidas did keep 300 Spartans there. That oh. was actually true. And in, in the actual second battle um, of, uh, blah, 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 excuse me, and the actual second invasion of Greece, he did keep 300 Spartans, but it wasn't just the Spartans. There were other factions there as well of the Greek alliance. Okay. Yeah. So that that is the... Very long-winded way of saying that the movie is not entirely correct, but there are some true elements to it. Gotcha. Now, as for the other little tidbits of the movie, like for Spartan culture, let's say, there was a few things that needed to be addressed, I thought, that were interesting about it that kind of stood out from other things you see with Greek culture movies or, you know, just ancient Greek. Come back with your shield or or on it? Yes. That that? was actually kind of a thing. That was true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a couple of misconceptions, though. Number one. A lot of the information we get about the Spartans is from a guy named Plutarch. And Plutarch has a little bit of a um, Bias? tendency to misconstrue things a little bit, to exaggerate, especially if he doesn't like the culture and thinks that they're a little bit barbaric. Mm-hmm. So we don't have much to go on from the first place. But what we do know is the main thing that got a lot of people in the seats to watch 300 with their boyfriends was the fact that Gerard Butler, Michael Fassbender, and practically everybody in the goddamn movie was shirtless. Oh, they were shredded to pieces. Yes. Wearing only a cape in banana hammocks and a spear. Remember all those videos going around of the, like their the workout? Spartan workout, Spartan workout, 30 day, 30 day rotation, right? They never did the same exercise twice. So yeah, that way they keep their body day period. Right. Yeah. Muscle was, confusion, yeah, like that. It, that kind of thing. It I was, think it was like a six month boot camp with the thirty day rotation, something like that. Yeah, it was. It was really, really intense. Uh, I even remember all that shit, that's all natural. Those motherfuckers were shredded. And Gerard Butler even said like that was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life, which I can imagine because they're again they're absolutely cut. Yeah, if it takes that to get that, which shred, is funny because that's a director who is like nastily abuses green screen. Like of all oh, the things Zach to do Snyder? authentically, yeah. to have them all get shredded as hell. <laughs> but imagine how hard it would be to green screen abs and all oh, the entire, CGI and most definitely. abs the entire but time. But my whole point just being yeah. that it's like, like he, he just abuses the green screen then and now. And it's like, nope, you guys, we're going to put a shit ton of money into all y'all doing the craziest work out of your lives. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they got, there, was, there was a bunch of them. And the funny thing was, the guy who trained them was a mountain climber. Like, that was his job. He wasn't, like, a nutritionist or, That's uh, really or anything else. He was, he was a mountain climber. 
Zack Snyder is like if Quentin Tarantino and Michael Bay got soldered together into one person. I And you took away their best aspects. Uh, well, I, if my opinion, you would get the movie Pain and Gain, which I think I've talked about before, and I stand by as Michael Bay's best film. And that's fine. So anyway, about this armor or lack thereof, totally not true. The Spartans, no, they, they had armor, yeah. They had something called hoplite armor, which is very common among, among also Romans and regular Greeks that aren't from Sparta. Like I don't say regular Greeks, but Sparta was a different state. Non-Spartans, yeah, yeah, I know what you meant. Among non-Spartans. And it turns out that the whole like helmet with the little frills on the top of it mm-hmm. were common. Yeah, those are really cool looking. Yeah, like the little rooster head. I, you just you see it and you're like, you just gravitate towards you like, that's badass. But another thing is their shields were fucking huge. Yeah. Uh, and also their spears are anywhere from 7 to 14 feet long. Well, we didn't we? I'm pretty sure. Did we I ta- say sh- uh, shields or spears? You said spears. Okay. 7 good. to 14 feet yeah. long. We talked about the turtle formation, right? Uh, we talked about that previously, just uh, not on recording. But yes, the uh, Tetsudo formation. Am I saying that right, Greg? Tetsudo. Yeah, I know we. I don't. I don't remember. I thought we talked about it on the podcast. Anyway, we did, and then we scrapped it. Oh, okay, now I know why I remember it. Okay, well, that was actually part I of. I was their, gaslighting him, Greg. Oh, uh, there, there's. Uh, they actually did things like that as well with those big shields and spears. Yeah, and from the beginning of the actual movie, they show like a whole thing about the Spartan culture. Two things that stood out to me. First, they discard their young. Yes, that's the first one. Really. The whole, if they're weak, they discard their young. Turns out infanticide is not that uncommon of a thing. As a matter of fact, the legend of Rome... Wait, being... I love that it's not that it's not true. It's like, no, it's just, it was super common. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's common among different cultures. As a matter of fact, Rome, the founding of Rome, Romulus and Remus were left for exposure because they were thought to be weak, and then they were raised by a pack of wolves and ended up making one of the most notable empires in history. Like an actual pack of wolves? Yeah, I mean, that's the story of the founding mm-hmm. of Rome, but it's not true, as far as we know. <laughs> so you don't know that. It's highly unlikely. But generally, it was up to the father if they were pissed off uh, about the kid, just thought they were weak. They would just leave them to the elements. It's exposure. They'd leave the kid to die of exposure, which is pretty horrible in general. Yeah. yeah. But instead, the Spartans generally had a council of elders where you would bring your baby to them. They're just like, we don't like that one. Put it outside. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, this. it's got like a six, we don't like it, put it outside, <laughs> just leave it out there. We don't want it in here no more. So it wasn't exactly the same thing, just it, they did it a little bit differently. They had a different flavor to their, you know, child murdering than most cultures did. Mm, that makes it much more palatable. Yes, exactly. Also, they make yeah. them seem like the Spartan boys were only trained in the military and that's it. Like that is all they did. Obviously the society would fall apart because you need things like blacksmiths, Farmers, nah, just doctors, go steal their blacksmiths. Everything, yeah. Well, that's actually a good point. There were some ant colonies that did that. Okay, but um, <laughs> well, but, but but wait, King Leonidas himself was only trained uh, as like a warrior because he was third in line to the throne. Exactly. They kind of shut that down there, well, but they always that's what showed I'm, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you want to talk, people have this conception that all kids are trained that way. Well, but the his movie order, kind of did that well, too. He did, but his two older brothers weren't trained in the same way that he was. The only reason he got the throne is because one of his brothers fucking just left, and the other one fled because he was insane. And so, by default, Leonidas got got the uh, got got to take uh, charge of the, the kingdom. Insane or didn't want himself beheaded and crucified. Well. Like, Leonidas actually he claimed insanity and ran or something like that so it turns out that 
I mean, yes, a lot of boys were trained militarily, but they were also trained just as equally in the arts. They did plays. They were yeah. trained in uh, speaking, public speaking, singing, like a lot of Theater. other stuff. It's kind of weird how they just made them just seem like military rats, you know? Well, that's because it's much more fun to watch things like that than somebody giving a uh, monologue in front of a group of people. Now, granted, I will say that there was a higher military focus in Spartan society. Yeah, for sure. Which actually did genuinely fall a bit more responsibility and uh, not only responsibility, but rights onto women's shoulders. Mm -hmm. Women were more often landowners, actually, in Spartan culture. Yeah. It was a thing. And they actually, they made uh, Queen uh, Gorgon. I think I think it was Gorgo was her name. I believe Lena, so as well. Hades' name was uh, Queen Gorgo. They showed her as like this very powerful woman who actually like convened with the Senate and such and such and just had more of just, more than just a... Damsel in distress loss without her husband kind of thing. Yes. Staying at home to cook and clean and take care of the kids and stuff she like that. She wasn't just subservient. She actually right. was a very powerful uh, person. And women could actually obtain this status in uh, Spartan society. Not, not to say that it was a completely egalitarian thing. No, no, no. You're but right. it was much more, I guess, progressive than most other cultures at that time. Absolutely. So props to them. But it was out of necessity that none of the men were around. I was going to so, say, I mean, yeah. However they got there. Uh, so let's continue on. Sure. So we are now going to be going a little bit further back, I think. Uh, what year was the Battle of Thermopylae? Do you have that on hand? No. Oh, yep, I do. It was in approximately 480 BC. Okay, we're not going that far back. We're getting a little bit further ahead in the okay. time. We're going to be talking about some ancient weaponry now. The rest of the show is going to be that. And this one is something that has been so fascinating to me because I remember seeing an MST3K movie based on this actual weapon, and that is Archimedes' laser. Now. Like, pew, pew. Yes, have you heard of it at all, to any degree? Not really. Yeah, in passing. So Archimedes' laser is described as this extremely powerful weapon that was used in Syracuse, not in New York, mm. in Syracuse, Greece, in order to repel off any invading ships that were entering a bay of Syracuse. And what it would do is it would use some sort of contraption to just instantly set ships on fire while they're on the boat. Okay. And to that's why a lot of people have called it a laser. Instantaneous heating up to set something on fire. And it was this contraption. It wasn't like a projectile. Not like anybody. a catapult or a trebuchet. No, it was definitely not a catapult or a trebuchet. Which, where do you fall? I mean, don't even ask. <laughs> Greg's going to come up with the trebuchet names. <laughs> So let's get a little bit into... I can toss you a meme from 300 meters away. <laughs> well done. Let's get into the validity of this. Now, Archimedes of Syracuse was born in 287 BC and died somewhere around 212 BC. He was an inventor, astronomer, and mathematician. And he is most famously known for something called Archimedes Principle, yeah. which is our kind of starting point for the concept of buoyancy. And that means that... Weight displaced, uh, the weight of a displaced fluid is equal to the weight of the object in a vacuum minus the weight of the object in fluid. Mm -hmm. Now, to get that a little bit easier, it's pretty much just like you can take how much water to raised up from a certain level to density. find out. Yes. <laughs> it can be arranged, rearranged to find the weight or density of an object. Yeah. 
difference between weight and density. Weight is mass when applied to gravity, and density is how much mass is in a certain amount of area. You've got it, Ryan. Thank you. So, happy. Uh, it turns out that 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 I think that is safely his most important contribution to all of society, human and society in general. I agree. But he was also just as wacky as Da Vinci with all, when it comes to all of his inventions. One of them in particular that has been confirmed was something called Archimedes' Claw, which was essentially a giant fucking claw machine to pick up things in the middle of the Bay of Syracuse, particularly ships, and just tip them over. Wait, now, wait, wait. This was a real thing they actually used? Yes. Okay. It was a giant contraption that... It didn't work in the sense that a claw machine should work. It works in the way it usually does for most people. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Claw machines don't typically work in the way that claw machines are intended to. Let's be fair on that. Oh one. no, they're intended for you to fail. Well, oh. <laughs> there's a there's a big difference between like uh, claw machines in America and claw machines elsewhere. The claw machines in America they have this thing where they pick up the item and then. They oh actually no the claw machines in America just are generally too weak to pick up something. Yeah, it's bullshit. They like are just like the weakest things. Just like I can't pick it up and oh, then I'm just so, go. Yeah, I can't do it. What the claw machines elsewhere that I've experienced do? It's like these two little prongs. They pick it up, but as soon as it hits the top, it hits a release. Like it the uh, the bump when it hits the top of makes the it end, slide out. It makes it open up yeah. a little bit and the things drop. Like whatever you're trying to grab. Essentially, what the claw machine that what Archimedes claw machine did was take a ship by its bow, which is the very front of it, right? Grabs it and then just picks it up and kind of tips it over upside down so that it gets capsized or holds it up long enough until water fills into the hull and then it sinks. And capsizes the yeah. ship. It was a completely viable thing. Unfortunately, it had a certain range and was kind of like a last measure. Well, I was gonna say if you couldn't stop the ships getting in from the get go. But what you stopped from, uh, the ships getting from the get-go from further away was Archimedes' ray. Now, oh, this was actually recorded uh, to have been used during the Roman siege of Syracuse from about 214 to 212 BC. And a lot of people say that, you know... Did he die in this? What's that? Did he die in the siege, siege, the, the siege of Syracuse? Because these both happened in... Two, like, he died in 212 and this happened in 212. That's a good question. I don't think he died in the siege, though. Okay. That wasn't the important part. Oh, sorry. Now, the way some things have been described is that this was made up of a set of mirrors. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. And it's around the concept that we actually covered in our nuclear in our nuclear myths episode, where mm -hmm. Greg was telling the story of a man lighting a cigarette with a, nothing simpler than an atomic bomb and a parabolic mirror. That's uh, all it took? Parabolic mirror. I'm not Casey. Mirror. Parabolic mirror. <laughs> mirror. Anyway, Robert Murr. Uh, the way this happens is enough heater of light reflects off. It can actually focus at a focal point in the middle of that section and cause effectively a laser, just like the idea of a magnifying glass in the sun. Yes. On a leaf or an ant, depending on how sadistic you are as a child. <laughs> now, the thing is that there were no contemporary accounts of this. The first accounts were from medieval times. That's a constant problem in historical works. You can look at like, um, what historical context, <laughs> but like things are written after the fact, like even the All Bible, the, the Bible is written decades after Jesus death. Mm hmm. Well, not decades, but it was like a while after. So it's all from memory. Bede, one of the most famous Anglo-Saxon historians, like in ancient Brit in, in Britain, like 300 years after the fall, 
I mean, like you're, you're talking people like until even more modern times, a lot of people were not writing contemporary stuff. Mm -hmm. It was like all this stuff's being passed down. Someone goes, oh, we should write this down. It's very haphazard. I mean, that's kind of a little unfair and disingenuous to say, but a no, lot but, of but feels very, very haphazard. Yeah, and that's also why things get skewed or misremembered, Absolutely. or you know, and there also is that you know theater aspect of it, the flair for the dramatic. Often, a lot of times they're funded by someone in charge. Yeah, big so pharma. the political mo <laughs> the political motivations are also a huge factor. Yeah, I mean, nobody's Absolutely. ever, not until recently, has anybody been like, "Hey, you should write this down. This is pretty cool." Is usually, "Hey, write this down." like this and mm -hmm. to submit my lineage to this famous person which reinforces my my claim to the throne that's why like, that's like a lot of times i'll be like hey i need you to write about achilles because i need you to prove i'm related to him because it'll cement my power well, well that's <laughs> why i think i'm gonna be skewing this a little bit so the thing about this is that like we've ran into this problem before when we were doing the roman myths it was a very valuable thing to have a contemporary writer meaning during the same time as the person who's writing right, about right. Cassius Dio and Nero. Yeah. That was the big deal. It was either him or there was another one that uh, was a contemporary. Anyway, there was only one, and he yeah. was like a kid when the whole burning of Rome happened. Right. And but the fact that he was there and was growing up in the aftermath as opposed to somebody from 100 years later that was like, ooh, this Roman emperor was probably not best for our narrative. We need to make him look a little bit worse. Well, that's kind of like what, what Greg was saying, though, how you talk about your lineage and your heritage and things like that. A lot of times the Romans, they would have statues made of uh, of themselves that would just literally be passed along so you could follow your lineage and they would have like a room for your family trees and things like that. And But see, the thing is like these trees would go back to like Mars and Venus, like the gods. So you'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'm the 15th descendant from fucking, you know, Mars's nephew's brother, whatever. It's like, okay, that's fucking ridiculous. But that, but that, that lineage and, and being able to, to have that written down was very helpful to a lot of Romans. But like you said, when you have somebody... It's a power grip. Right it, it, that's what I was going to get into. Yes. And it, it turns out that, you know, but some oral history can be trusted. No, I agree. It turns out that a lot of like Aboriginal tribes in Australia have stories that turned out to be spot on mm -hmm. when later investigated. Like accounts of either certain events that happened like a long, long time ago, like a, a certain eclipse. And when they, you know, scientists went back, there was like, oh, God, that actually did happen. Yeah. So it's not to say that oral history is completely unreliable. Just most of the time you shouldn't trust it because, you know, yeah. everybody tells a lie, especially memory is a very fickle, feeble, you know, thing. Yeah, you can it can be altered. And people, like I said, people can alter it. And if somebody wanted to alter it completely differently, you'd never know because you weren't there. Secondly, another problem with this beam weapon is that if you think about going back to the magnifying glass on a leaf or an ant. Mm -hmm. Those are always stationary in order to catch it on fire. Oh. You need a certain amount of time to heat up that wood, especially a ship, which might be a little bit wet in the first place. Yeah. And if this is a laser from God knows how many yards away, it's probably a weak, unless these lasers are, like these mirrors are super powered and much stronger than anything we have right now. So this was in Syracuse, you said? Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't worry about that. It's in meters, Ryan. Come on. This is in America. They okay, use that. okay, okay, okay. Sorry. <laughs> But these ships generally keep moving. No, and you're true. That's very true. Yeah. Throw some goddamn water on it. Like, how could it <laughs> instantly immolate a ship like that? It doesn't make much sense if you think about it. It's not a bomb. Yeah. Until here's where the tie in between the next two topics come up, being the one I'm talking about and then yours. Leonardo da Vinci steps in, who 
according to a few different accounts, That's psycho. Th- he is a true mad signore. But uh, he... <laughs> He is, uh, so many things about him are amazing. I mean, he was a Ninja Turtle for starters. Yeah. (laughs) He also, in our current understanding of uh, society, would be a pedophile too. But that's not here or there. We're not talking about that part. I I didn't know that. Da Vinci sketched this actual beam weapon at one point in the 15th century. And it looks more like something called a steam cannon. Uh, which is what most people are now speculating this uh, death ray to be. Yeah, okay. Now, a steam cannon is pretty amazing in itself because it works the same way that a, say, potato cannon would work without the actual combustion part. Mm. Anybody that's not uh, as redneck as us and has not (laughs) used a potato cannon, the concept is you have a PVC pipe with a kind of a narrow chamber, then at the end of it, a shorter but wider chamber and then you stick a potato in on one end, and on the other end, you spray in generally hairspray and mm-hmm. cap it up, and then you hit a flint that's on the top of it, and it'll shoot that potato God knows how far. That's a general combustion cannon. Now, the steam cannon is very much along the same lines, but strictly just pressure, no combustion. Because what they would do is they would get this giant copper contraption that almost looks like a uh, no carved bong it would just be just the cannon and there's this ball one end that opens up they put this ball end of the cannon so not the the barrel end mm-hmm. over a fire and, and there's like the, the let heat it and the super heat, build up. let yeah. it super heat very very hot then they put just as much as about a cup of water in there and cap it up as fast and whatever they try to shoot any projectiles would go flying mm-hmm and it had some range. Like, it was known to be a very effective weapon, and it's been proven. I mean, the, people have built steam cannons today, and yeah. they work. Um, I mean, we have much better methods of shooting things, but, well. you know. Uh, and historian Plutarch, I know, once again, I've mentioned him, describes a pole-shaped device that forged besieging Roman soldiers to flee at one point in the walls of Syracuse. So this pole shape could easily have been a steam cannon. Yeah. It, didn't have any, it doesn't mention mirrors at all. And uh, the philosopher also described like a burning device used in the siege of Syracuse. But historians argue that the translations can be interpreted as using mirrors. It's kind of like a little bit wishy-washy. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Where did this idea of using mirrors come from in the first place? I think that's a more common thing because people have figured out what mirrors can do when it comes to reflecting light. Oh, so you think, okay. But getting that big of a matrices, like a matrix of mirrors in order to like perfectly be able to have a focal point on a ship from certain distances. Mm Mm-hmm. You still have to focus things. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, unless you can move the mirror itself, but this sounds like a giant contraption. Uh, I agree. Now, to remedy the whole idea of how these ships could set on fire so fast and be a big issue, turns out the projectiles might be hollowed out and filled with Josh's next topic. Yes, Greek fire. That is the last topic we're going to cover this episode. Thank you. Thank you. This episode. Tonight. Yes. Fuck. No. Um <laughs> So what is Greek fire? Glad you asked, Greg. It is an incendiary weapon used by the Byzantine Empire, developed in 672. Now, to elaborate, the Byzantine Empire is better known... Well, not better known, I guess. Uh, Greg, uh, would you say it's better known or just also known as the Eastern Roman Empire? I was going to say also known as... I, I always... Whenever somebody talks about the Eastern Roman Empire, I always hear them talk about the Byzantines. That's what? fair enough. Okay, he farted in response <laughs> to that. True historian. He's shit on your ideas, what he's telling us, Ryan. Really representing UVA. <laughs> so continue. T- 
Typically, this was used during naval bot during naval battles, and by this I mean Greek fire itself. And it was very, very successful in doing so because it could burn while floating on water. Not only that, is it also? I think it was. Uh, I've heard accounts of it being further ignited by water. Um, I'll get into that. Okay. Uh, also, is this sounding like any, an HBO show to anybody? For those of you listening and hearing a weird noise, that's Ryan's pants yeah, shut, getting shut, tight just shut, because okay. he's having a vision of Battle of Blackwater. Yes, it's from Game of Thrones. But what would they call it? They called it wildfire. Wildfire. Okay. I couldn't remember. But yes, uh, I would actually say, though, that if you want to get a really good idea, um, A, about how wonderful Game of Thrones is, and B, kind of what Greek fire was like, check out the check out the episode in season two. All right. So we need to have Muse Greek fire in this book. All right, George, think what you're going to call it. Green fire. No, no it no, can no, be no. green still. That'd be cool. No, 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 That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that. Keep that. Man, this is um, such a wild, wild What? Fire. There it is. Write it down. Thank you, Peter Dinklage from the future. Uh, <laughs> Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> All right. So enough about that. You yeah, get yeah, the yeah. concept of wildfire. It's uh, sorry, Greek fire. It is wildfire <laughs> from Game of Thrones minus the green part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Greek fire was wildly successful and even became the typical name for any incendiary weapon. Honestly, uh, like other kinds used by by the Arabs, the Chinese, and the Mongols. So people were so terrified of it that anything that would set anyone on fire, they just called it Greek fire. I like how the Byzantines use it and they call it Greek fire. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun too. Um, and what the hottest part about this is that they don't know how it's made. Well, that's, that's what I was going to get into that. Even though they just call all these incendiary weapons, Greek fire, it was never truly Greek fire because they don't know the secret sauce to it. The formula and the, and the Greek fire used by the Byzantines was different than anything else that anybody else used. That's not to say there wasn't like copies of it, that copycats that people tried to make or something similar, but the formula was never completely replicated, and it still hasn't been replicated to this day, as far as we know. We, we it's still a hot topic of debate. That is absolutely amazing to me. Like several things, soma, the drug that the Romans used, uh, and Brave New World. Yeah, well, yeah, it's based off of that. Mm-hmm. Greek fire, and then Damascus steel, which Damascus we're not getting steel. into in this episode, but also a very to fascinating it. topic. Um, but the fact that we have these things that even today. We don't, we don't know, know the, what's in the cane sauce from back then. Mm-hmm. Like, it's insane that after all the technological innovation, we can't re- replicate the original recipe. Uh, yeah. And, uh, don't I, we I, have trouble replicating the Roman cement, too? Yes. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that's a good that's a that's a real good good pull. And I think a lot of situations And we have the fucking bridges still. Like, we literally have them. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> the, the issue with those is that it may have been a resource pull because I think what a lot of people think with the Damascus steel is that there was certain trace amounts of metal in their steel that they made from a certain region that they may have mined from that got depleted. So they can't make it anymore. It may have not been a technique Maybe as much a as a material. Maybe it was something, yeah, something you can't duplicate. Come on, meteorite, you and me going to be best friends. Continue. Uh, so th- yeah, that's just fascinating to me that they cannot, they don't have it. Well, the, another fun little fact about Greek fire as well is that that was one of the original forms of where hand grenades come from. They would make little itty bitty clay, like small miniature clay pots. That they would enclose. They'd fill, put a Greek fire in it, and they'd chuck it at. Uh, put them in a fucking steam cannon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so they even actually used Greek fire to project outward, like they could use it as like a. As a, a propellant. Yeah, as a propellant, um, using various siphons, and they could shoot it towards an enemy, uh, a la... Oh, my God, it's napalm. Uh, uh, 
a fucking flamethrower. Well, the, there's the reason they call Greek fire, you know, uh, classic napalm. No, I did not know that. Was oh, yeah. They refer to it as like classical napalm all the time. That's, That's a really, really big thing. Terrifying. But uh, there's got to be at least some clues in order to its composition. Yes, there is. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of get I'm going to work from the start and kind of get there. Uh, so Greek fire was invented by Callinicus, who escaped Syria to Constantinople in 668. And when he got to uh, Constantinople... There were other different forms of flammable liquids that have been used before, but nothing was quite up to par that he eventually made uh, as what became known as Greek fire. Uh, he was the one who refined the process and made it what it is, but he definitely was not the first because there's a lot of debate as to who invented Greek fire as well. Not only the composition, but the origin. of That's it. That's insane that we know who used it, who made it, when it was used, what it was used for, the effects of it, but not how it was made. Everything but that was written down. Used by some asshole. Used back then to burn shit. Ninja shit. Ninja shit. (laughs) Uh, So as far as the actual composition of it, there's been various proposals using different compounds like pine resin, uh, naphtha, 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 quicklime, calcium phosphate, sulfur, and niter. Those are some of the big things that people say are used into it. Uh, but the exact recipe was lost and never replicated. But we have a pretty good idea of some of the components, such as a light petroleum, which was readily available in the area. And it was used as a, a base for the mixture. And people are pretty sure that um, there was some form of, of equivalent to a gunpowder that was used back then. Well, when you say like a light petroleum, that makes a lot of sense to me because of uh, the way... Grease fires work. Yes. When you have a grease fire in your kitchen, you're supposed to smother it. You can absolutely absolutely do not throw water on it. Mm-hmm. It makes the fire worse. It'll turn your pan into the fucking Olympic torch. Mm-hmm. And that shows like to me that, yeah, that would make complete sense for it to be able to float on water. You've seen what oil spills look like. So pine resin sounds reasonable to me, but it seems like, I don't know how they would have uh, pressed some sort of petroleum around there. But those clues point to some other resources. They have to look around that area where they and invented it. That's what I was going to say. A lot of it could have been just things that were in that area that they used um, that's no longer available that gave it the, the concoction and the and made it made it um, the components of it work together like it did back then. Now, when you talk about uh, like grease fires and things like that, there was a couple different remedies that people found to put out Greek fire. One of them was wearing um, like cloth like a specific type of cloth, it wouldn't catch on fire. Really? Um, another way that people found that it would go, that you could put out Greek fire, you couldn't throw water on it, but you could pee on it. Interesting. Like something with the acidity and like, or vin- or something. and uh, the vin- and vinegar as well was another thing that people say could help put it out. I want to find those historical writings where it's just like, piss on the Greek fire <laughs> if it's on you. The hell um, accent was that? It's uh. What's it called? Uh, Middle English, where there's, <laughs> it's the what they use in Troy and every other ancient movie for the accents they put on people that don't Eric's exist anywhere else. British. Yeah, but yeah, so Greek fire is pretty pretty cool. It's pretty complicated because again, we don't know what's in it. But MythBusters have like tried to do things with it. There's a whole bunch of YouTube videos of people like I found Greek fire, but nobody's found. But exactly I think it, it was ultimately. In something we covered way back when in the Anarchist Cookbook. 
It was just styrofoam and gasoline. It could have been. It could have fucking been. You never know. And William Powell could have told us, but he's no longer around. But Greek fire totally was a thing. But Greek fire absolutely was a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess uh, to recap a little bit, this is going to be a bit wishy-washy. Greg, starting off with you. Here's the gun. Load it. Just put one bullet in at a time. Uh, So ninjas. (laughs) Bullshit. What they do. Ninjas are bullshit. Everything about ninjas is bullshit. Revenge of Shinobi, bullshit. Ninja Gaiden, bullshit. All of it's bullshit. Except Jackie Chan. He's real. He's a real person. <laughs> Not a Shinobi no Mono. <laughs> Broke everything in his body except his heart. Uh, Actually, Revenge <laughs> of Shinobi makes sense as a title. Yeah. It's it Revenge does. of the Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, this one's a little bit harder because there's a few aspects we got to like narrow down here. Battle of Thermopylae, 300 people. No, that's false because there was more than just the 300 Spartans. Yes. I, w- I will say that. Um, I will also say uh, that a lot of, like, of the other parts of the battle depicted in the movie were kind of true. We never swung back to the importance of a Brazilian playing Xerxes, did we? No, we didn't. No, 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 we didn't. It's going to stay okay. uh, a mystery forever. Yeah. Uh, turns out, yes, they did kill some infants if they were weak, but it turns out a bunch of old dudes decide if they should die or not. Uh, they wore armor, just like yeah, everybody they else. They were pretty well armored, actually. And also, the women did have some better rights. So I would say mm, some mixed bag. Some true, some false. Uh, Archimedes laser. That's you. I would put this as a... Did Archimedes laser exist? No. I, I, I'd put it as false. Did his death weapon exist? Yes, but it was probably a steam cannon. I See... It, I think it's a completely feasible thing. Because if you ask me... Making that fucking giant wooden claw machine that picks up ships <laughs> is more impressive to me than making a steam cannon. Can a quick shout out to a show we haven't mentioned in a while, The Twilight Histories. Um, there's an amazing, I believe, two-part episode. I know it's at least two. It might be three, but I think it's two. Uh, called The Winged Victory. Was that when Rome was like steam? No, uh, this huh? was the Greek one. And so basically the guy and his daughter are in opposing city-states. And he basically develops rifles and she develops like ancient helicopters Hmm. and um he also develops like a plane essentially but the whole thing is basically like this crazy technological arms race of what happens when people from like the far future flung into ancient greece and are basically able to like mechanically build some of the concepts we understand already and it's a little absurd but it's like really fun and it i I actually really it's called the winged victory i remember that that's definitely the title of it i remember it It is a super fun episode so if you want to get into like a big technological what if that is a super fun episode. not to mention jordan's voice is like maple butter oh my god Mm -hmm. it's it's It's, he's got a good he's got a it's it's strong work so yes if you want to really get into this like if you like archimedes laser totally tickles your fancy Go check out the Winged Victory on Twilight Histories. Uh, but back to what I was gonna say is that the fact that it says Archimedes Laser, yeah, false. Since it's not, there's no laser. I, I've put in the false category. Okay, that's fine. Because uh, I've also seen it referred to as he a probably death made ray. a bunch of shit, but he did even a death ray. I still wouldn't call it a death ray. Yeah. The concept right. of some sort of wave or light or energy, yeah, some sort of emission like yeah, that. Yeah, I just I, I would say it's a falsehood. But I'm sure he made some crazy shit. And the last one is Greek, about Greek fire. Like, was it real? Yeah, it absolutely was real. They used the shit out of it. 
but the problem was is that nobody could really remember the composition, and eventually uh, it got lost and faded over time. Well, a lot of stuff we lost because they would keep it closely guarded secrets, and then oh, like, th- this was like kept secret for like generations. Like yeah. people would not let let hold of uh, let go. I'm sorry of, of what the secret would be. Like they kept it right up next to. Technically, we them. still don't have the recipe for WD-40. So if like. <laughs> One day the factory blows up and all the employees die, then no more WD-40. Do we really not know? Right? That the reason why they have such a secretive uh, formula that nobody can figure out is because they never filed a patent for it, so they don't have to say uh, what the formula is. But if you were to give my best guess, it's krill oil in there. Yeah. Because you can use it for fishing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, well... Thank you guys for uh, tuning in, checking us out uh, with another history episode. Greg, how can the people find us? You can find us at RoomFliesPodcast.com, at RoomFlies on all social media. You can find us at... Um, no, go ahead. <laughs> I want to slow it down for when you do it. Go ahead. Do it fast. Let's see, see what happens. Okay, let's see I can do this. You can find us at RoomFliesPodcast.com. You can find us at RoomFlies on all social media, RoomFlies at gmail.com, and patreon.com slash RoomFlies. You can find us on Dark Myths Collective, where you can find other amazing shows like ours. I like that one. That was impressive. I do too. Yeah, Greg Thank did something you. good. All right, so a slight pause. In the yeah, it's okay. I'll allow it, Your Honor. <laughs> I'll allow it. So until then, for this episode of Reflies, as always, I'm Ryan. I am Joshua. And I'm Gregory. Bye. Bye.